Well, I have the, <clears throat> the privilege of closing out our study in 1 Corinthians, we're going to be in chapter 15 today, talking about our hope. You know, what is it that this community is moving towards? What's the point of all this? Where are we going? I think that being able to answer that question is critical for any community. You know, my senior year uh, of college, I was the co-captain of the men's swimming and diving team at, at Wash U in St. Louis. And uh, we established a goal at the start of the year, uh, an ultimate hope, if you will, that we would be one of the top ten teams in the nation. That was our goal. And, and, and that hope proved uh, essential for our community. It gave us purpose. It provided directionality to what we were doing. It helped clarify what was primary and what was secondary. Yes, there were uh, swim meets with rivals, uh, rival schools that we wanted to win. Yes, there were records, school records we wanted to break. But, but these secondary hopes uh, found their significance in that they ultimately moved us toward our hope of being ranked in the top ten. And so we needed to keep that hope in mind, that ultimate hope. Where, where are we going as a team? That's where we're going. That's what we're doing here, day in and day out. And I think the same is true for us as, as a community of faith. Well, you know, God has given us an ultimate hope. It's a hope intended to give us purpose and clarity and provide directionality to what we're doing. It's a hope that I believe clarifies also what is primary and what is secondary. And so what is that? What distracts us from it? And how can we keep that central? These are some of the questions that, that I want to address tonight. Uh, our passage is going to be in 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 50. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 50. Paul says this, he says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sin? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I want to talk about three things tonight. I want to talk about uh, our ultimate hope as brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to talk a little bit about the secondary hopes that that compete with that ultimate hope for attention. 
And then I want to talk about how our ultimate hope sustains community. Okay. So our ultimate hope as brothers and sisters in Christ, what is that? What is the, the ultimate hope of Peth or, or manna or, 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 or just a community of any believer? Or any believers? What is that? Well, our ultimate hope I have written up here is this. We hope for a communal, perfected, bodily existence in the eternal kingdom of God. A communal, perfected, bodily existence in the eternal kingdom of God. Let's look at some of the pieces of this. First, our, our hope is, is communal. It's communal. Verse 50 starts with, I tell you this, brothers. Now, now this term is not just referring to, to males. We put brothers and sisters there, I believe. And, and, and obviously the word is plural. And so, so Paul is talking about a community of people. Okay? They all will inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, ultimate hope of this community is, in fact, more community. So, better get used to it now. <laughs> because it, it, it's a communal existence. Secondly, our hope is perfection. Perfection. Verses 51 and 52 say, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Uh, but we shall be changed in, the, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Now that word, imperishable there, all right, that, 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 that doesn't just mean, the, the original Greek word doesn't just mean you can't die, although it certainly means that, but it also carries the meaning of uh, incorruptible, unable to have a flaw, perfect. Our hope is perfection. Our hope is bodily. Continuing on in verse 53, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. See, God created us as, as physical beings with bodies. And, and so the, the physicality uh, that we have now will continue to exist in, in eternity. Uh, and, and in eternity, sin will no longer be there. So, in a sense, it's a perfected physicality. A perfected physicality. You know, I like to think that finally, the six-pack I always wanted, or the strong jawline, I always wanted, will be there. We'll see. Well, you can all stay tuned for that. We'll see what happens. But our hope is physical. It's physical. It's bodily. Our hope is also eternal. Reading on in verse 54, when perishable puts on the imperishable, the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying, as it is written, uh, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? We, we're immortal. There is no more death. It's eternal. It is forever. And finally, our hope is with God in his kingdom. It's with God in his kingdom. You know, Verse 50, going back to it, starts out and it says, I tell you, this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So, so you sort of read that and say, well, that's, that's a problem because I have flesh and blood and now I can't inherit the kingdom of God, which is why it's good that Paul goes on to say, but we're going to be raised imperishable. And, and implicit in that is that, that when we are raised imperishable, then we inherit fully the consummated kingdom of God. We're there with God in his kingdom forever 
uh, in, in a place where his reign and his rule is complete. It is total, in, in which every aspect uh, of the heavens, every aspect of the earth, it, it accords with his will. And so we're there with him forever in that kingdom, with God. That is our hope. It is communal, perfected, bodily existence in the eternal kingdom of God. And yet, despite the immense glory, the beauty, the awesomeness of that hope, I think it is easy for us as a community to lose sight of it. Which brings me to the second point, the secondary hopes that compete for ultimate attention. The secondary hopes that compete for ultimate attention. Well, what, what distracts us from our ultimate hope? What distracts us from this? Well, I could talk about a whole slew of things. I mean, certainly sin does. Uh, busyness, uh, distractions, life circumstances. Um, we talk about a lot of those things. But actually, what I want to focus on tonight um, is the distraction of secondary things that we often sidetrack ourselves with. You see, as a community, uh, we can take uh, sort of good secondary goals and, and, and subtly replace our ultimate hope with those goals. And when we do that, I think we actually run into eventually some problems. Let me give you some examples of this. I want to give you three uh, secondary hopes that I have uh, repeatedly seen uh, in Christian communities at Princeton, I've repeatedly seen them elevated to ultimate status. Okay? Now, these aren't bad things in themselves, so let me just say that. If you're going to read something and say, that sounds great. Well, it is good, but it's not ultimate. There's a difference. So, three secondary hopes. Number one, my hope for this community is that it would become a support system that helps each other get through Princeton, where we help each other get through Princeton. I mean, Princeton's a challenging school, right? And, and so uh, becoming a group of people who help each other endure uh, the rigors of Princeton is a worthy community goal. And yet, if that becomes our ultimate goal, if that becomes sort of where we think this whole thing is ultimately going, I think our vision of community falls short of what God has for us. For starters, I think it falls short because, you know, there's nothing actually distinctively Christian about that goal. Uh, another, another religious group could, could aim for that. And actually, for that matter, a non-religious group could aim for that. And, and you, you see many groups that help each other get through Princeton. Not that that's a bad thing. But, but I think our goal must, at some level, right, be distinctly Christian. I think a second issue with it is that if our ultimate hope in this community is simply to get through Princeton... Then I have to ask this question, do we, how much do we care about each other beyond Princeton? The careers we pursue, uh, the people we become. Has this community basically served its purpose the day that you graduate? See, getting through Princeton cannot be the ultimate goal of this community. I think it's too short-sighted, and it lacks a distinctive Christ-centeredness. A good goal, yes. An ultimate hope, no. Second, to be a comfortable community of friends in which I can be myself. To be a comfortable community of friends in which I can be myself. Now, it is my prayer, I'm sure it is the prayer of all the staff 
for the various fellowships here, um, that those who come to Princeton would find, that, that Christians who come to Princeton would find Christian community at Princeton, and a kind of community that accepts you, where you feel at home, where you feel loved. So, so we hope for that, and, and you know, by God's grace, that does happen. It does. And yet, when Christian community becomes primarily about becoming a group where I feel comfortable or where I can be myself, I think that we lose something crucial. You know, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us uh, that part of our ultimate hope is perfection, right? We talk about that. It's perfection. And, you know, if you've been a Christian any length of time, you know that the road to perfection or, or to being Christ-like is not a comfortable road. Bill talked about this the first night in 1 Corinthians 5, when he talked about the road to perfection at times requiring brothers and sisters to lovingly make us uncomfortable. To not simply support us for who we think we are, but to call us to be who God wants us to be. Comfort is not a bad thing, but, but comfort, being yourself in relationships, I, I don't think they can be our ultimate goal. Third, secondary goal that I think competes for ultimate attention is to be a community that loves and serves the campus. Now, some of you say, Joel, what is wrong with that? That sounds phenomenal. And it is. It's just not ultimate. Um, and, and I don't think it is because, you know, I, I think that you can do that for, you know, should, you should do that, but I've seen communities in their acts of love and in their acts of service, I've seen uh, them take on sort of a, 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 almost a savior complex at times. This idea that, you know, we're the ones who are loving and serving Princeton in this way. Princeton needs us. They need us to do these good things here, to serve in these ways. But is that true? Does Princeton need us? No. Princeton needs Jesus, but Princeton does not need us. You see, if we don't proclaim the gospel as we're loving and serving the campus, if we don't do that in a way that provokes the campus to consider Jesus' claims, to consider him as truth. I think we're giving the campus a taste of the kingdom, but not telling them how they can actually get into the kingdom, be a part of the kingdom themselves. And so in the end, we're not as loving or servant-minded as we thought. Now, all these secondary hopes I mentioned, um, they have a few things in common. I said it at the beginning, each one of these is good. They're good things. So, so in no way am I trying to say we shouldn't be goals in our community. All these things should be goals. Each one is, is, is I believe, an important community step along the journey to our ultimate hope. But none of these is our ultimate hope. And therefore, none can sustain, I believe, a healthy Christian community over the long run. I think we need something more than that for the long run. But praise God that our ultimate hope, which I mentioned before, our ultimate hope can. It can sustain community for the long run. Well, how is it going to do that? This is my final point. How our ultimate, communities, or our ultimate hope sustains community. 
I'll give you three ways it sustains community. First, our ultimate hope reminds us that we don't decide what the community should look like. Okay? We don't decide what the community should look like. You know, Jesus is Lord over this community. Okay? And because he's Lord over it, because he's the one who's moving it to, to that perfected, bodily, eternal, communal existence in the kingdom of God, he's the one doing the work, I think that that, that means that we have to, at some level, hold our visions for the community, our personal visions, loosely. We have to hold those visions loosely. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer actually talks about this in his book, Life Together. He uses very strong language, probably a little stronger than I would. But, you know, to make the point, we'll read this quotation. He says, God hates visionary training. It makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. This is someone dreaming about what a Christian community could look like. It makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. He enters the community of Christians with his demands, sets up his own law, and judges the brethren and God himself accordingly. When things do not go his way, he calls the effort a failure. When his ideal picture is destroyed, he sees the community going to smash. So he becomes first an accuser of his brethren, then an accuser of God, and finally the despairing accuser of himself. You see, our ultimate hope in this community is perfection. But here's the thing. We don't know what that looks like. Okay? I mean, we can guess. I mean, the Bible gives us uh, some clues, and certainly it sort of paints uh, somewhat of a picture. But at the end of the day, we, we really don't know in any detailed way what perfect community looks like. Only God knows what that looks like. Only God knows what this will look like in eternity. And that's why, therefore, only he knows where we should be now to get to that. And because he's the one who knows, because he's the one who's lord over that change process, I think we need to hold those visions of community loosely that we have. Our ultimate hope sustains our community, I think, by calling us to be humble, even as we dream and envision what this community should be. I'm not saying we don't envision it, but I'm saying hold those visions loosely, guys. Hold them loosely. Because at the end of the day, God's the one who decides what this community needs to look like, not us. He's the one doing the work. He's the one who knows what perfection is. Okay? It reminds us that we don't decide what the community should look like. Second, I think our ultimate hope encourages us when our community feels like a work in progress. I don't know about you, but I think I've often felt um, like Christian community at times has a split personality. Okay? Um, one day, there's all this sacrificial love. Yay! And then the next day, um, there's bickering. Uh, one day, there's generosity. Uh, the next day, self-seeking. One day, there's patience. The next day, anger and impatience. What is going on here? Okay, well, what's going on is that you're being reminded that this is a work in progress, this community. So, you, so you're seeing... Some holiness that, that's happening, and that's good. You see that progress is being made, and yet you're reminded, we're not there yet. We have a long way to go. The Holy Spirit is working in our midst. He is changing us from the inside, okay? But that transformational process will not be complete in this life. And so consequently, we must show grace and patience to one another and not despair 
when progress seems <coughs> slow. We're going to get there. We're going we're to get to that perfection. But we're a work in progress now. So, so can we be gracious with each other? Just admitting, you know what, we're all in process on this. It encourages us when our community feels like a work in progress. And then finally, and related, it takes the pressure off us to finish the work. It takes the pressure off us to finish the work. Paul makes this very clear in Philippians 1, verse 6, when he says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, Philippian community, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And the you in these verses, as I, as I said, is a plural you. He's talking to a community. He's saying God's going to finish the work he started in you, community. He's going to bring the community to that perfected existence. And so what that means is that the community's destiny does not depend on us. It's not hinging on us doing the right thing or not screwing up. Now, that doesn't mean we, again, don't try to, to mature the community toward greater love and, and generosity and gospel witness and service. Yes, we work for those things as best we know how, but we work for those things without anxiety because we know that even when we don't see the changes we hope for, God is working and completion is guaranteed in him. It takes the pressure off us to finish the work. That's not what we do. We play our role. God finishes the work. Now Paul closes 1 Corinthians 15 with an exhortation. And essentially what he's saying in this exhortation is he's saying, Corinthian church, because of this ultimate hope you have of communal, perfected, bodily existence in the eternal kingdom of God, this hope that is sure, because of this hope, you can then persevere in doing the will of God now. Because of this hope, you can persevere now. And so I want to give you that same exhortation by using Paul's words, in verse 58, where he says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord... Your labor is not in vain. Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray that you would give us confidence in this ultimate hope we have. That we will be a community forever with you. A perfect community. Bodily community in your kingdom. You, you will be there. It is a great hope, Lord. It is a hope that can sustain us the long run, Lord, would we not lose sight of it, Lord? And even as we seek these other good things, not ultimate things, but good things, that these, these, these things that are sort of part of that journey toward that ultimate hope, would you keep our ultimate hope in mind? Resurrection, bodily existence with you, would that encourage us each day? Give us patience with one another. Give us grace toward one another. And give us faith that you are doing the work. Help us be faithful. You called us to. I pray this in your name. Amen. Mm -hmm.